0: Our precious Father, we just want to thank you for this wonderful opportunity we have this evening to study your word. We are so grateful that we prayed about this moment and we know that you have answered our prayers. So we give you thanks for what you do tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we want to go straight away right into this study of the book of Ephesians. This is part one of the study of chapter four because we can't finish chapter four today. Uh, let me say from the start that some of the definitions and some quotes that we're going to use here came from Enduring World Bible Commentary by David Gozik. Enduring World Bible Commentary by David Gozik. Some of the definitions and some of the quotes are going to come from there. So, introduction now to the Ephesians chapter four. So Paul, after writing in the first three chapters and explaining God's plan for both Jews and Gentiles through Jesus Christ, how that we have received a new life and have his presence in us. We are now equipped by God to live the new life in Christ to leave our new nature out. So Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago, so we have been created, so that we can live this new life in Christ. So this new life is not really to earn God's love, but because his love has given us the ability and the privilege to be partakers of the divine nature in Christ. Jesus, to, to live the life that Christ gave us, since we have a new nature, then Paul is urging us to live it out. We do not live this new life to be loved by God. We live that way because he created us anew in Christ so that we can live that way. The purpose is never to anger us love. No, he loved us while we were yet sinners. He just did not start loving us all of a sudden because we have started impressing him. So, when we do not embrace Him, He stops loving us. And when we embrace Him, He loves us. That's not God's love. That will be very inconsistent with Scripture that revealed that He loves us not because we are good, but because He is good. God is, by nature, is love and merciful and compassionate. Even our living this new life willingly. Is in response to his love for us. We love him back and desire to please him. It's in response to his love for us. We love him back and desire to please him because we want to. We want to, not because we have to. He does not manipulate anybody into pleasing him with traits of this and that, no. It has to come from love, the heart of love for him. He say, if you love me, then that you do what I say. Then we do not, if we are doing it on that truth, then we do these things, but not from our heart. Same way it works in the natural. Once we, be, once we hear a lover's voice, everything changes. Even people can notice that you will be so willing to go the extra mile to meet them and hang out and do what pleases them. Because you want to, not because you have to. They say the road to a lover's house is always short. So Paul is saying we should live this new life, not to earn God's love. No, but because he has created us like that in Christ Jesus. So in chapter 4, we go to chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Let's just look at this verse one. Paul starts with his declaring that he's a prisoner for serving the Lord. The reason he was thrown into prison is because he's serving the Lord. And number two, he has dedicated his life to serving the Lord. So he said, I'm a prisoner for serving the Lord. And secondly, he gave his life completely to serving the Lord. And then there is something I want to point out here. In, we ourselves are really um, in this same position. We should see ourselves as people who are willing uh, prisoners to Christ, so to say. Not because he imprisoned us, because we willingly submit to him and, and we endure hardship for his name's sake. We endure hardship for his name's sake. So we need to follow Christ regardless of what is happening to us. We can't be fair weather followers. Paul said, I was in prison for serving the Lord. Why? Because he too considers himself a prisoner of the Lord. So he wasn't complaining or murmuring. So in Isaiah 53, verse 6, we see what the initial problem was is because all of us were doing our own thing. So we didn't care about God's own thing. So in Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us. all. All of us like sheep have gone astray. So, and we went in our own way. So the new call is to come back and to walk in his own way and forget your own way because that's what put us all in trouble. So that's why the call to be a prisoner of Christ is very important. It's not because he's putting us in prison because we want to really follow him. We want to commit to following him regardless of the difficulty that comes our way because that's the only way that's the only option because like I said, we're all going our own way and that puts us all in trouble. Now the call is to come and be led by his spirit so that we walk in his own way. So you can now see why Ephesians five seventeen says, "Wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So when you are not caring to understand what the will of the Lord is, you will not be wise. Thank you. You will not be wise at all. Why? Because the problem before was that we all all of us like sheep went astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So you can't come to the Lord and still be in your own way. That would be unwise. That's why the Holy Spirit said it's, you can't be following your own way again. You have to, when you come here now, you have to find out what the will of the Father is. You have to find out what the will of the Father is and follow it. You know? So secondly, it is unwise to seek our own will and continue in what as Isaiah said, everyone turned to his own way because of of our own we can do really nothing. So all the things that we do that is our own way and our own will is us building them. And except the Lord builds, we're just wasting our time. It's a matter of time, it will all come down. Because it's not the planting of God, so it's not wisdom for a Christian to believe in regardless of disregarding God's will. The Bible says, "Wherefore, be ye not unwise. It's not wisdom, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Find out what God wants you to do. Don't take on life on your own. You will go the way of Isaiah 53, All will and sheep have gone astray." We have turned everyone to his own way. You don't want to go back there. You want to be wise and come back to his own way. As the Spirit leads you, as the Scripture leads you. Now, in this, in this verse 1, there's a call out there. There's a call. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. There's a call now for us to... Live a life that is worthy of the Lord and the call that he has put on our lives. So, to live a life worthy of our calling is to live a life that is worthy of the glory to which Christ has called us. He has called us out of shameful things to things that are glorious. You know, And then, what does it really mean? The word worthy will help us to understand what Paul has in mind here. So what does the word word mean? It means having or showing by the dictionary, having or showing the qualities or abilities that merit recognition in a specified way. So we live in such a way that our lives show qualities or abilities that merit recognition as followers of Christ, as people who profess Jesus Christ as people who have received his life, his new nature. So he's saying that the word worthy says we should live in such a way to show qualities or abilities that merit recognition. Because there are some qualities that do not merit recognition as followers of Christ. So Paul is saying we should live worthy of that call that Christ placed upon our lives. Now, we are peculiar people. We are not regular, ordinary people. 2 Peter 1 4. By means of these, he has bestowed on us his precious and exceedingly great promises, so that through them you may escape by flight from the moral decay, rottenness, and corruption that is in the world because of covetousness, lust, and greed, and become sharers, partakers of the divine. Nature. So you see, so when Paul is saying we should walk worthy, saying we should walk worthy and show qualities and abilities of the divine nature that we now have. We are royalty. 1 Peter 2.9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So to live worthy of this call, you can see our call is to show for the praises of Him, to do things that bring Him praise, not things that grieve His spirit, but things that bring Him praise. So as we live our life, we should bear in mind that the call is to live worthy of this cause. Qualities or abilities that merit recognition as people who are bringing praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelations 1.6 says, And had made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So we should live as kings. We shouldn't live as slaves. We shouldn't live as uh, people who are enslaved by habits, enslaved by things. We shouldn't live on that, on that kind of thing. We should live in freedom. Kings live in freedom. We should live in freedom. When you are bound by something, when you have subjected yourself to things, that habits that do not glorify God, you are not certainly living as a king that God has appointed, called to be kings, to reign in life in Christ Jesus, and to be priests unto him, people who minister to God as priests. Now, the contrary life is described as lacking in glory too, Second 2 Peter 2.20. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and they slip by sin again, they are worse off than before. Verse 21, it would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command that they were given to live a holy life. 22, they prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit. And another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. So you can see how it is not worthy of the call that we have to live a life that is described as a dog returning to its vomit. Or a washed pig returning to the mud. You see here, Peter was quoting the Proverbs 26 verse 11. So you can see why Paul is calling us to live worthy of our call and not to live in the mold of this world. To live and go back to the vomit. Vomit is the things that we have, been, we, we have rejected that have been taken out of us and now we have a new life. We, have, we don't have to go back to that. The, 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 the way it's illustrated should make us run away from things like that. Now, Paul described the character of the worthy walk in details. The character, when he says walk worthy, he begins to show us actually in details what character we, we, we present us as people who are walking worthy of call as, as kings, as people who have the divine nature. So we're not confused as to what it looks like. So in Ephesians 4 verse 2 it says with all lowliness and gentleness with long suffering bearing with one another in love so it comes from chapter verse 1 to chapter verse 2 trying to describe for us what this worldly walk looks like with all lowliness and gentleness with long suffering bearing with one another in love lowliness and gentleness The same thing he also wrote to the Philippian church. And as we read what he wrote to the Philippian church, we can begin to understand his idea of lowliness and gentle spirit. So let's go read what he wrote to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 from verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like minded. He says, Well, we go down and talk about the unity that Paul was urging. And all these things are the things that help us to live a life of that unity. Like minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing now, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness. See, it brings that word lowliness. So you can see his definition right here. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So he is talking about with all lowliness and gentleness, he's saying we should esteem others better than us. We should not exalt ourselves above other people. Verse 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider a robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of man. This is Paul's idea of lowliness. We should let each of you look out not for his own interest. We were lowly in heart to put somebody's interest ahead of your own. And then let, it said, let, then he says, "But also, and then let all, this mind be in us, which was in Christ Jesus, He had a lowly spirit, who being in the form of God, he is God, God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, coming in the likeness of men to serve, said, "I'm among you I see that serves. So you can see Paul is breaking it down to us to understand. When he says, with all holiness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, we can understand it in details what he's really talking about. Now, these qualities that he's mentioning, they are qualities that is of high price before God. 1 Peter 3.3 Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold, but of putting on all or putting on of apro, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, which is the new man, the new nature, in that which is not corruptible, because it's a spirit being. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Meek lowly, meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God is of great power. So you see the Holy Spirit calls it an ornament. It's a dressing, spiritual dressing. That God prizes high an ornament. You know, I've been thinking, you know, there's this one sister that I, I've been really uh, listening to the things she saying. She hears God very well and has communion with God, conversation with God all the time. So I've been wondering, my spirit, how she developed to this point. But I realized something that when we live a life that grieves the Holy Spirit and we're not going to have this kind of intimate communication with him. It's going to hinder it. It's going to hinder it. And we are going to be losing. So enduring word that I told you, you know, that some definitions come from them. Says this that loneliness is not, not a pushy desire to defend our own right, exactly what Paul wrote to the Philippians. Not a pushy desire to defend our own rights. Now, he said to the Philippians, but in lowliness of mind, let it esteem others better than himself. So it's not a pushy desire to defend our own rights. So you don't have to fight over because you think they denied you your right or said something wrong about you it's not a pushy desire to defend our own rights and advance our own agenda. It means we can be happy and content when we are not in charge. When we are not in control or steering things our way, when things are not going our way, we can be content, we can be happy. Actually, that's quality that is needed for unity, really. In the family, everywhere. But let's go back to Philippians. Where Paul wrote Philippians, he said, verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is everything must come my way. My way is the highway. I have the superior wisdom. <laughs> and then he says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better. Then he says, if you prefer somebody else, you give somebody a chance. So if you are not in charge, then you celebrate those who are in charge and walk with them. It's called lowliness. Of mind. So Paul mentioned another quality of this work: long suffering and bearing with one another. Chrysostom, again from the, um, the from the source that I quoted before, it says it defined long suffering like this: it's from enduring word. The spirit that has the power, listen to this definition, long-suffering. The spirit that has the power to take revenge, but never does. Never does. It is characteristic of a forgiving, generous heart. We need this so that the inevitable wrongs, I'm quoting enduring word, inevitable wrongs that occur because of our imperfections will not destroy God's purpose for his church and destroy the work of God by dividing his church or dividing a family or dividing husband and wife. So another charge that Paul gave to the church is from verses 3 to 6. See, the first one is that we should live worthy of this call. And then he gave the qualities of what, what uh, the characteristics of living worthy, and we'll try to define them to make them clear. So, another child that he gives to the church is from verses 3 to 6: endeavoring to keep, endeavoring to keep, they say to create, but to keep. If you are keeping something, it's something that is there already. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. This is not physical. Unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring to keep. You keep something that's there already. Keep it. Don't destroy it. Unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6. One God and Father of all. Who is above all and through all and you and in you, all? Now note that it's talking about spiritual unity, and we did not create this unity. Christ did. God did it in Christ already. Our call here is to recognize it and keep it. God wants us to simply recognize this unity and keep it and maintain it. We need to recognize that we are one body because he began to tell us how we are one. Recognize that we are one body. He says because that's one body. We are one body united around one feet that is in Christ Jesus through which all of us became part of this body. We have one God and one Father and one family so we should recognize this and keep these truths and let it guide us in relating with one another to keep the spirit the, the the unity of the spirit in john twenty seventeen, jesus said to her touch me not for i have not yet ascended to my father But but. go to my brethren and say unto them, I send unto my father now and your father, and to my God and your God. So now, Paul is saying we have the same father, one God, one father. He says, "This is your God, this is your father." Paul is saying all of us belong to one God, one father. We should recognize this and keep this sense of unity of the spirit. We should recognize that all of us have one Father and one God. Galatians six ten. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto, me, unto them who are of the household of faith. He said, we are of the same family household of faith. We must recognize that. Then Ephesians two nineteen. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens, with the saints of the household of God. Paul is saying we well, are one family, one father, one God. We should recognize that. And recognize that we are all, we all came to Christ through one faith in Christ. Our unity revolves around Christ, through which we all became part of His body. Unity of the Spirit. So this this is not this a, a call to recognize that. There are different people of different cultures like the Jews, Gentiles, in this world. And we worship in different languages and cultures, but are one in Christ. Because we are united by one faith in Christ that made us all children of God. Now we have Chinese, we have Asians, we have Africans, we have South Americans. It's 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 spread all over the world. And people worship Jesus in in their cultures, in their language, in their music, in the way they know how to. If you go to my village, they worship in the local language. They worship the way they know how to. They don't have to speak English. And they dance in the local dance, the way they know how to. Every Christian should be proud of his culture. You don't have to copy somebody's culture. Because God may, you function best in your mood. You function best in your mood. So Paul is saying that because we are different, we are going to be different, you know, Jews, Gentiles, you know, different people. But we coalesce around one fact, that we have one faith in Christ that brings us into the body. We have one God, one Father. Let's read it again, what it says. It said, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. The same hope we just described, he called us to glory, all of us. All of us were called to glory. There is one spirit. There is the, we don't have two Holy Spirits. It's this one spirit, the same spirit of Christ, the same spirit of God, and one body, which is the body of Christ. One Lord, who is Jesus, one faith. There are no two faiths to come into Christ. There's only one. And one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and, you, and in you all. It doesn't matter your culture. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. You don't, want, you don't have to be intimidated by anybody's color. You need to be proud of what God made you to be. So that's what Paul is telling them now. That Remember, his ministry was to the Gentiles. So he was trying to tell them that you can be proud of being a member of the body of Christ because your color or your language does not mean anything because we are all one in Christ. So this is is exactly what he also said in Ephesians 2.14, when we read Ephesians 2.14. For Christ himself is telling us how Christ created this unity, which he said we should keep. Christ already created this unity, which he's telling the church, we should recognize it and keep it. Ephesians 2.14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles. It's Christ that did this. He's not telling us to go and create it, we can't. He did it already. But he says we should endeavor to keep it. He he united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews, Gentiles, all of us, because about that there were two walls, the Jews and the rest of the world Gentiles. So he said everybody. he made peace between the Jews and the rest of us who are not Jews by creating in Himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body now, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. 17, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit, one spirit, because of what Christ has done for us. So you see, that's what Paul is saying, that we should understand this, recognize this, and keep this unity that Christ has already created for his body. So there's another context in which Paul was appealing for unity in the body of Christ. Paul writes about the unity of the Spirit here in another context. He says, recognizing the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. The other one was, we should recognize that we, are, we have different backgrounds and cultures, Gentiles, Jews. But now it's talking about the Holy Spirit walking in the body of Christ. Different manifestations, different giftings. That, that shouldn't bring division. It shouldn't bring division. So, it says, it says um, because the Holy Spirit, uh, the, administration, the administration of the Holy Spirit is varied by the same spirit. So we must not let his different types of manifestations divide us because we don't understand it. 1 Corinthians twelve eleven. But all these worketh that one and self same spirit dividing to everyone severally as he wills. It's as he wills, he gives he walks these things through people not as we will. For as the body is one, and had many members, he's talking about the body is one, and had many members, All and all the members of that one body, be many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, by one spirit, are we all baptized into one body. By one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. I'm going to talk about this baptism now. Whether we be Jews, Gentiles, whether we be born or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the, body not, for the body is not one member, but many. If the food shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Or if the ear shall say, because I am not the ear, the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now God has set members, every one of them in the body as he had pleased him. God created this unity as he has pleased him. Verse 19. And if they were all one member, where were the body? Verse 20. But now all they are, but now are there many members but one body? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of you because you don't look like me. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Verse 23. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. 24. For our comely parts have no need. But God had tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked. 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, and one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are are the body of Christ, members in particular. So Paul is saying, we should recognize that we have different giftings in the body of Christ. And we shouldn't because somebody has a different gifting from you, you forget that you coalesce around the same faith in Christ. The same spirit that's working in him is working in you. Like Paul said, he said, it's the same spirit working in me is working in Peter and working in the apostles. So we must recognize that and make sure that we keep this unity that the Holy Spirit is urging us to keep. Now, but in these manifestations of the Holy Spirit, we need to sound some warning, because there is fake. There is fake. All that glitters is not good. But there is a way to recognize the fake. The, the fake will focus on a man. It will not focus on Christ. Christ. It will not focus on the grace of God. It will not focus on the gospel. It will not. It will focus on a human being and make a human being the savior. And Jesus said, many will call me my name and say, I am the one, I'm your savior. I'm the anointed one. Now let's see example in Acts chapter 8, verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city, and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming he was someone great. See what I'm saying? Those ones that are fake, gives the glory to man. They must end up promoting a man. Ten, to whom all, they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is a power of God. And they hided him because he had astonished them with his the sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, now Philip showed up, Philip showed up in time, believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now, these ones who are doing these things, promoting the name of Jesus Christ, promoting the message of the kingdom, the gospel, not themselves. Nobody called them, nobody was calling them the, uh, 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 the great power of God. They never took such accolade. Now, look at the real one. Here are some examples of the real ones. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this now? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness? We are not the great power of God. Peter did the disclaimer right here. It's not by our own power or holiness we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, had glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Verse 16. And his name, through faith in his name, had made this man strong, whom you see, and no, yea, the faith which is by him had given him this perfect sadness in the presence of you all. So you know, he began to point them to the person who raised this man up, is Christ. It's not us. It's faith in him that walked. That will show you the real one. Because somebody was sharing, Benihim was sharing on television how, I think the Philippines or somewhere, they will, if you have cancer, they will put their hands into your stomach and pull it out. They say, You want to see miracles? Demons are doing miracles ever. Put your, their hand, pull it out. No pain, nothing. Gone. But that one does not glorify Jesus. They don't preach Christ Jesus there. So it's not the Spirit of God. Now, let's see another example Acts 14, 8. Why they were at least Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth. So he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. Looking straight at him, Paul realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, They shouted in their local dialect. These men are gods in human form. Verse 12. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god, Zeus, and that Paul was Hannes, since he was the chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside this town. So the priest of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. You see, Miracles will make people easily think you are God. And people can worship human beings just that cheap. Easily. Verse 14. But when Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We are mere human beings. Look at what Peter said "It's not our power. Not our holiness. Paul said we are mere human beings. We didn't do this. We couldn't heal you, nothing. We are mere human beings, just like you. We have come to bring you the good news. Come to preach Jesus here. That you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything that is in them. So you can easily notice, if it's, to the, if it's God, you will know, because Jesus will be exalted. Jesus The gospel will be exalted. People will be told that this is Christ doing this thing. This is Jesus doing this thing. Men will take themselves away because there is no man who can heal you. No human being can do anything except the Spirit of God does it. Nobody. And if Jesus does it, he's still the God our healer. He's still the God our healer. If God does miracles, we should give him all the glory. So you should know the fake from the real. Now, there's one more way to know the fake. Romans 16, 17. Now, I beseech you, brethren, mark them, which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. These people who preach contrary doctrines, doctrine that promotes wrong doctrine that focuses on man and not Christ and his grace. Anything that does not focus on Jesus and the grace and the work of grace is not the Holy Spirit. It's not. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Paul was strong talking about the doctrine that he, he preached. He said, that My doctrine is about how faith in Christ gives you salvation. He said, We are saved by faith, not by works. We are saved by grace. Through faith, not by works. It is a work of grace. Through faith, not by works. Not by works. It's all that Jesus did for us. His blood, his blood, his blood brought us salvation. So Romans sixteen eighteen, For they that are sought, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, their selfish people, and by good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Oh, no, they can be very flamboyant in talking, and they can be charismatic. So Paul goes ahead to the. Let me talk about the baptism. Well, you know, because some people, some people have difficulty because Paul said one baptism. So some people have said, "Oh, yeah, I see. There is only one baptism. There's not that. That's not true." That's not what he was saying. In Acts chapter 8, verse 16, we can see water baptism. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? That is said. And Philip said, If thou believest with thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water. Both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So, this water baptism is valid. So, when Paul is talking about one spirit, one baptism, it's not saying that we don't have other baptisms. There is baptism in the Holy Spirit. What he's talking about is what we already read. We read it with being baptized into Christ when we read um, in Ephesians, I think so. Acts chapter 3, I believe so. No, no, no I am not ask. Okay, let, let's go down to where we're because I have some scriptures too that will help us right there. In Romans six three Know you not that so many of us as we are baptized into Jesus Christ, we are baptized into his death. When you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit put you in Christ. This baptism into Christ is not what men do. It's the Holy Spirit that puts you into Christ. It's not, it's not what we do. It's him. It's all part of what we're reading now, that he's the one that brought peace, created this, so that when believe in him, he puts us, into himself. It's not, no human being put, because all of us were put into him. All of us. By the same spirit. So in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. So when you come to Christ, you are put into Christ. You become part of his body. You are baptized into him. That's what it means. Being baptized into Christ It's another form of baptism. And I think we, we read it even you know, in um, yeah we read it in first Corinthians yeah in 1 Corinthians 12 verse starting for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, baptized into his body by one spirit it's the spirit of God that puts you into Christ it's not what men do it's not what men do. so Paul is talking about One baptism, which means we all come into Christ by faith in Him, and the Holy Spirit baptizes us into His body. All of us, it's the same process for everybody. That's what He's saying. So now let's let's talk about uh, verses seven to eleven. Verses seven to eleven. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, this he ascended, what does it mean? But he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. 10. He who descended is, one, is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some, to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So he's talking about um, the gift that Christ gave to the church when he ascended. And in this this place, he's talking about leading captivity captive, referring to Christ's victory Over the things that kept us captive, too. So he said he gave gifts to the church. When he ascended, he gave gifts to the church. For he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. He gave different gifts according to his grace. It is called gift. Nobody calls himself. And don't let people push you into a ministry. We have a lot of junkyard of people who destroy themselves doing stuff like that. Don't let people push you into it. Let the Holy Spirit call you and put you where he wants you to be. You, the, your giftings will be visible and people will recognize it. So look at Paul. Paul said in Galatia 1.15, But even before I was born, God chose me. See? God didn't wait for Paul to come here and be nice. Actually, he came here fighting Christianity. But he said, before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then, then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. He said, he chose me while I was in my That's womb, before I was born. He made the choice. So, the Bible is saying that these callings are the gifts of grace. He himself gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. The reason in verse 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of God, Christ's gift. So you can't say, oh, it's be- don't think because you're this or that, that's why you're a pastor or you're this. No, no. It's because of his grace. God deals with us by grace, by mercy. So we never earn the calling of God. So we can't be proud about it. We can't be boasting about it. We didn't merit it. We can't be proud. It is at his discretion that he calls each one of us. But we are now equally responsible to carry out that call responsibly. It should be a sacred assignment that we carry out to honor him that gave it to us. And to respect him too. And to be grateful. It's an honor. And an act of worship. It's an honor. It's an act of worship to serve Jesus. I mean, it's an act of worship to serve him. It's an honor to serve him. It's an honor to be The Bible says no man take this honor unto himself. It's an honor. The Holy Spirit called this honor. It's important. It's a sacred thing. Any capacity you are serving Jesus, it's a sacred thing. God called you there. You didn't call yourself. And he gave you the skill to use to serve him. The Bible says, well, God, God is not served by men's hand. It's by the spirit. He gave you the skill. Whatever you are doing and doing, and if you really know the benefit of doing these things, That skill he will use to bless you in the world. I'm not kidding. That skill, he will use it to reward you in the world. People don't know how God works, so they they joke with divine callings and skills and giftings. They think we can bury it and go outside and do something. You don't understand God. The person that buried his own, Jesus Jesus says an unprofitable servant. They say get out of here. If God gives you voice, use use it to serve. If God gives any call, use it to serve. Don't don't treat it as something common. You are shortened the spirit that gave it to you. And moreover, at a point they will replace you anyway. He does that. At a point he will push somebody and that's it. He will not call you anymore in your life. Done. He he told me the same for me. When he followed me 10 years to be a pastor and I didn't want to be. One day right on the remain road he said if you don't want to serve me I won't call you again. The rest of your life I will never call you. Never again. If you don't want to follow me this moment. The thing woke me up. That's when I said okay I will. So these things are something we should know. It's an honor for God to even call you. Before you were born, he decided to use you. Is it not the purpose of our life? Is that why we are living? That thing using you to do, don't look, I'm telling you, people have been blessed. Is it not my son that told us how he was seeking God for us? And the Lord said the, same way, said, the same way you do this work for me in the church is the way I created you to bless you. He's in the, you can ask him. He said the same way. He said, How do you do it? He said, This way. He said, Do it in your life. It works. He started to do it. His life went plural. You know, people don't understand the way God works. The giftings of God will make way for you, it will always make way for you. But because we don't know, the devil will convince you it's not important. Really? (laughs) What is important? We build castles and then. After some years, the devil comes and hits everything. Something hits everything. Misery comes. Because it's not God. You don't want to be an unprofitable servant. So, let's look at these offices. This call. Number one, apostles. They are the saint ones used to start works. They are the pioneers. They provide the foundational work of God. They do the foundational works. They are the People who are like church planters, they start works. Like Paul was an apostle sent out to the Gentiles. He was pioneering the work of God among the Gentiles. So, And apostles operate all the offices. Apostles operate as apostles, as prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Because when you're pioneering, you don't have them now. So you don't have them now. So he, where his pioneering work, he's the pastor there now. He's the evangelist. He's the, he's the uh, pro- prophet. They don't have them. So he oppresses all of them. Because at the pioneering work, the, the new converts can't be all distance. So the apostle oppresses all of them. Efficiently. You know an apostle? He are, he, he, if he's in a pastoral anointing, he he's awesome. If he's teaching, he's awesome. If he comes to Pioneering was, you see that gift of faith up. Right? He begins to do bold things that is not natural. You can't copy him. You can't copy Gift of faith. Paul, they did everything to him. He said, None of these things move me. It's not going to bother me, my friend. I'll, I'll finish this thing. Apostolic calling, man. So the, the people that um, pioneer this, the works. Um, Ephesians 2.20 says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So they, they, build, they build the foundational the, the pioneering work of the kingdom of God. And the prophets are God's mouthpiece who speak as they are inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament prophets, I want us to listen to this. The Old Testament prophets Gave prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ. They gave the foundational prophecies. Nobody spoke about Jesus before them. So the Bible says we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. They gave the, fond- the initial, initial pronouncements. The Holy Spirit spoke through them. So in John one forty-five, Philip founded Nathanael and said unto him, "We have found him whom Moses in the law. When you talk about the law, It's talking about dispensation of the time of Moses. Moses in the law, and the prophets did right. So they wrote about him. They were the first to talk about. That's why it's called the foundation of the prophets and apostles. They were the ones that talked about him. They were the ones that told us that a virgin would have a son, you know, call his name Emmanuel. They spoke about Jesus. All, that's all they wrote about But the New Testament prophet is also interpreting the mystery of Christ fulfilled in his life. The Old Testament prophets wrote about Jesus, what he would do, this. So it was fulfilled in his life when he came. So the New Testament prophet speaks about Christ, the fulfilled work from what the Old Testament prophets wrote. The New Testament prophet will take that and give you insight into that beyond what regular people will see. Paul, like I said, was an apostle, and I said apostles can operate as prophets. Now let's see Paul in a prophetic mood. Acts 26 verse 22. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those with the prophets and Moses. You see, so they take the writings of prophets and Moses and bring revelation into it. The practical meaning to you now in the church. That's what they do. It's not to tell you who to marry. Don't go to any prophet to tell you who to marry. You finish yourself. It's not the assignment. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets, Moses did say, should come. The foundational things. That Christ should suffer, that he should be the first that should rise from. That's what they wrote from the dead and should. And she show light unto the people, unto the Gentiles. So, in verse 24, Paul was full of the anointing and in-depth revelation of this thing. That the king he was talking to started yelling. In verse 24, verse 26, 24. And as he talked to himself, Festus said with loud voice, Paul, that I beside that said, much lightning, don't make thee mad. He said, man, you know too much. What? That's what prophets do. They, when they're in the prophetic anointing, they bring revelation. When you hear a prophet teach' it's different from it's different from the teaching of the teacher. It's always revelational, always. And it comes with greater authority. Verse 25. But he said, I am not madu, most noble persons, but speak for the words of truth and soberness. 26, for the king knoweth of these things now, before whom I, I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for these things was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? Direct question. Do you believe the prophets? So you see, the prophet of the New Testament brings revelation out of the writings of the old prophet. Writers. Brings it. So he said, I don't speak anything else except what the old prophets have written. And I'm speaking it in revelation, under the anointing of the Spirit of God, in the prophetic office, to bring revelation from what they wrote and bring it into reality so you see what it means to you. He said, do you believe the prophet's? And they build the faith of Christians by that way. You can't build faith except they're talking about Jesus now, because he's the author and finisher of our faith. So by this revelation about Christ from Scripture, they build the faith of people. Acts 15:32. Then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers, encouraging and strengthening their faith. You see, you can't strengthen my faith when you are now talking to me about Jesus. Because there's no other foundation that God has laid except accept him. Number two, he's the author and finisher of my faith. I can't have faith outside of Christ. So if they're strengthening their faith, it means they're doing what Paul did. They're bringing revelation out of the writings about Christ and teaching the church about it. So they are not to guide you. They are not here to guide you. Look at John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Every sheep of God should know his voice of the, of the master and follow him. You say, How does it get me? Read the Bible, follow the Bible. That word is lamp onto my feet and light unto my path. Follow it. Stop looking for so said the Lord. Stop looking for stuff like that. Prophetic word. For we prophetic word, I just showed you what it is. When the prophets talk, this is what they do. They bring revelation of Christ. Interpret his life. So every Christian should know the voice of Jesus. That's how we we are disciples now. Disciples follow now. We follow the shepherd. Let me show you an example. Acts 9.15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. God said, I'm going to show him what he will suffer, but I'm going to send him to kings. We just saw him speaking to kings and Gentiles. Now in Acts 21, and as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus, and when he was coming unto us, he took Paul's girdle, bound his own hands, and feet and said, Thus said the Holy Ghost. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owned the garden, this garden and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when he had these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go to Jerusalem. Remember, God said, I will show him what he will suffer. Now, God is showing him. God is saying, This will happen to him. But the prophet didn't tell him to go or not to go. The Spirit just inspired him and said, I'm going. I'm, he said, I'll show him what you suffer. And now, the Spirit is saying, Hey, this is what will happen. And you speak to kings. Through this process, he spoke to kings. He fulfilled what God said. He didn't go in a limousine. Verse 12. And when we heard these things, both we and they of this, that place besought him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, want me to weep and break my heart, for I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of Jesus Christ. And when we could not be persuaded, we see saying that the will of the Lord be done. And he went. Why? God says, I'm going to send you two kings, but you're going to suffer. I'll tell you what you're going to suffer. And God told him ahead of time. And the anointing was there to go, gift of faith. So every ship, including the prophet, everybody, must follow Jesus Christ. Now the evangelists, the evangelists, their calling is to preach the gospel with, with signs and wonders following. Acts 21.8, and the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist. So Philip is an evangelist, which was one of the seven and I with him. Philip is an evangelist. Let's look at his ministry. Acts 8.5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. That's what the evangelists do. They don't come to church and be... They, they, no, they, their ministry is outside. like and Blanke. You don't have to be as big as Blanke. All these missionaries we have, they're evangelists. Preach Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave it unto those things which Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. That's the evangelist's work. He preaches the gospel, confirms it with signs and wonders. Outside. The pastors are the father of the church, the church family, the shepherd under Christ, who teaches the word of God. He feeds them and cares for them like a father. First Timothy 3.2, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. The pastor must be able to teach. His main work is to feed the sheep, is to teach the sheep. Ezekiel 34, 2. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus said the Lord God unto the shepherds. What be the shepherds of Israel that, that do feed themselves? <laughs> they, they, they feed themselves. It's, all, it's about what, you know, pastor, give money, all those kind of things that's so popular. They feed themselves. Should not the shepherd feed the flock? That's what God is asking. You eat the fat and you clothe you you with the wolves. You kill them that are fed, but you feed not the flock. God says, Who you? That's, that's not your rule. Eating the fat, you know, man of God, that, whatever. So, you no, know, you should feed them. Jeremiah 23 4. And I will set up shepherds over them, which shall feed them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall they be lacking, said the Lord. So the main work of the pastor, really, is to feed the sheep and to be the shepherd, a father. The pastoral anointing is totally awesome, is to be the father. In every church, every church, the pastor is God's shepherd. You can't enter a church and start doing what you like. If you say you're not doing it, that's it. When I go to a church, I ask the pastor, can I do this? If he says no, I don't try it, because I'm not the pastor there. God respects authority. He's the shepherd over that flock. I am not. You can't go to church and be telling the pastor what to do. You're wasting your time. You are sending strange fire. If you don't know God, you're going to pay price for it at that point. Then teachers, these are who explain the word. Teaching is to explain. Preaching is to announce. Teaching is to explain the word. They teach precept upon precept, line upon line. They organize their teachings and follow it line by line. You cannot just come and say, the Holy Spirit wants me to teach this. When you have been given an outline, you are out of order. You are violating the scripture for teaching. Isaiah 28, He tells us everything over and over, one line at a time, one line at a time, a little here, a little there, one line by organized. That's why the school teachers, you must follow the outline. You can't be disorderly. In, in, King James Version says, for precept must be upon precept, line upon line, orderly. Precept, you can't, they are teaching baptism of the Holy Spirit. You jump, and said, the Holy Spirit told me to. It's not the Holy Spirit. You are confused. Line upon line, precept. And you have to prepare your lesson. Precept upon precept. The Bible says, First Corinthians 14, 40, let all things be done decently and in order. You can't bring this confusion and say the Holy Spirit. It's not the God of confusion. Decently and in order. Precept, when if you say, hey, You are teaching baptism of the Holy Spirit, focus on it. When you people are done, they give you the next one, precept upon precept. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever, amen.